And we're going to look at a popular portion of Scripture, at least I've heard it several times myself. We're going to look at it a little, oh, maybe different than it comes across at first, but I think we can find something in here for each one of us. We live in the most affluent country in the world right now, although it's running through some decline uh, socially in the world uh, amongst other leaders. We're running into some, some decline at least. And there's great fear for our monetary system right now, but yet it be known they're still sneaking in through the South and coming in from all over to get to America. There's not another country in the world that people are dying to get into. And that's what America is all about. And the Lord's blessed us for many reasons. And he's had his hand upon us for many reasons. And one of the reasons, I think, is some of one of the underlying factors here in Scripture. Let's look at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at the popular story. And I use the term story lightly. We're going to look at the pop popular portion of Scripture about the rich young ruler. This happened early, relatively early in Christ's ministry and on this planet. And he was preaching amongst his people and Jews and general at the time, and uh, he came forward, um, a young man came forward, and we'll see what happened. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Again, this was at the beginning of Christ's ministry. Dear Lord, help us this morning as we Look into your word to get something from each one of us, for each one of us today. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I like this man. He had a good approach. He came running to Christ, and he kneeled when he came before him. He had no problem with the authority Christ was ha uh, handling at the time, although many people did, including the ones who had spiritual authority at that time and in that age. They eventually crucified him. But this young man recognized that there was something spiritual about this person. There was something, in his interpretation, a person. He, he knew that there was something special about this Christ that came to his town or to his area, and he ran to meet him. Some of you drive 36 miles down the worst roads in this country, and I'm glad you come to meet Christ. And that's what we endeavor to do each day you're here, each time you're here. And some of us, uh, we came 40, 40 miles roughly today, didn't we? But it was a much nicer ride. <laughs> but God will honor those efforts you put forth. And I think that this man, in his effort, although he seems he's very discouraged and we don't see, hear anything about uh, anything more from him in Scripture, but... Christ felt obligated to even answer this gentleman because he had made an effort to seek him out. The best prayer you can pray besides asking Christ to become Lord in your life or to endeavor to make Christ Lord of your life is to come to Christ or to come to God and ask him to make himself real to you through Christ. That's the next best prayer. And this man endeavored to do that. He came forward and he asked Jesus, hey, what's this all about? I want to follow you. And I believe God 
God honors that that particular kind of prayer. And I know he does. There's very few prayers he's obligated to answer, but I believe this prayer is one of them. He is more than obligated by the fact that he went to the cross and died for each one of us. And I've seen people all over this country who sincerely ask God to make himself real to them, as I did, as most of you have done. He will magnify himself to you. He will give you answers. He will give you direction. So much so, I'm so certain of that. As certain as this book is laying in front of me, he's got your answer. He's got your direction. He's got what you need. You just need to run to him and to seek it out. He's very patient. He's much more patient than I. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest me good? There is none good but one, that is God. What he's trying to do is narrow it down because he called him good master. And they were very much aware, the Hebrew people, of the law and how nobody could fulfill the law. They were continually trying to meticulously fulfill every jot and tittle in the law. And they had questions. And, hey, he says, you just called me good. You must assume that I'm better than a man. He's hinting to him to try to identify him and to put the right mark upon him. Jesus Christ is standing there saying, I am God. Do you recognize me as God? Then you'll have your answers. He's trying to take him through that first step. He's trying to get him to acknowledge him as God. There's none good, none but God. Don't you think Christ knew the answer to that question? And that man, in his mind, was challenged because he had spent his young life as a Hebrew, as a career man, as somebody who became educated and prominent in the community, as a successful businessman. He knew his scripture. He dotted his I's and dotted his T's. Not like the businessmen of today. Uh, I think of Donald Trump, though. I'll interrupt myself with that little comment. Uh, Donald Trump was a successful businessman. Do you know one reason why he was successful? He had no problem in following some of the godly principles he laid out. I'm not saying he was a spiritual giant. I'm not even saying he knew God, but he feared God enough that he knew how to handle people. He looked at everybody equal. That's a principle laid out in God's scripture. He looked at, I'm not going to edify the former president by any means. Neither am I going to villain villainize the president we have now what the point of the situation is if you're going to be successful in life you're going to have to follow some of the very biblical principles that are laid out in common social morality which is found in your scripture which was given to us by god almighty you won't get around it being a skunk i've seen too i've had to bury people that the people oh that's great he's getting screwed into the ground right now he was so crooked what do you say about somebody like that? Society knows whether you're God-fearing or not. And you'll be successful whether you're God-fearing or not. So this man comes to him, and God challenges him and says, Who do you say God is? That's what he's saying. Who do you say God is? You've tithed. He's given his money to the church. He's given his tithes, his mint and uh, Annas and just little tiny things. That man was living by the law. 
And here he hears somebody talking about faith and talking about spiritual things, and it's not necessarily living by the law. Remember, they came and scolded him and the apostles one time for grabbing wheat as they walked through the field to eat. Was, was uh, This man here was coming to terms with his maker, whether he realized it or not. And I believe he realized it. Thou, callest the, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And that's quoted from Old Testament right there. And he's telling them, you know the law. You've practiced the law. You've got benefits from the law. How is it going now? And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beheld him, beholding him, loved him. And we talked about that in Sunday school. What a wonderful lesson. And it said unto him, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. He's saying, you've been pretty darn good. You've fulfilled most of the law. You've got it down pretty pat. You haven't killed anybody. You, you know the commandments. You know even the Hebrew uh, Torah, you've followed various rules and regulations, and you're successful in life. My, our Heavenly Father has rewarded you mightily in this world because of your efforts to follow the law. And I believe God the Father honored him so much that he was letting him know God the Son was right there. And the Holy Spirit came upon that young man and brought him running to Christ. Christ recognized that. Christ knew all that. And here he stands before Jesus Christ. He says, what do I got to do? I fulfilled the law. One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven. And come, take up thy cross and follow me. What's his cross? Was this guy going to go get crucified somewhere? Socially, he might have got crucified. You ever go through social crucifixion? Just stand up like we, somebody alluded to in Sunday school and read your Bible in the break room. You want to be socially crucified? Just tell them, I'm not coming to your party if you're going to have booze there. Just tell them, no, I don't want to be around when they're smoking dope. You can suffer social crucifixion. Does this man want to take up a cross? Does he want to be different socially? Does he want to be marked any different than those around him? That's one reason he followed the law to the jot and tittle, because he knew everybody had to go to church. Everybody had to give. If they were going to be successful in the neighborhood, if they were going to be affluent or affluent in the society around them, they had to at least obey the social norms of that society. You don't, you don't spit on into the wind, so to speak. And uh, he comes to Christ. Was Christ asking him to sell everything he had? Was he really wanting him to just become a beggar? He was wanting to replace his God. See, he worshipped. His whole life revolved around much he had. Everything he had was wrapped up in his 
society norms and his social environment and his success with others and the money he could have in his pocket. He was affluent. He was recognized. He was a rich young ruler, wasn't he? He wasn't he had people working for him. He was a boss man. He could snap his fingers and things would get done. He was successful. Was he really successful? Though? No, don't you think God could have used him? Oh, yeah, he could have said, you know, bow down and worship me and for this time being, and you'll get more money, and we won't have to worry about our missions fund. He wanted that man's heart. Where is your heart today? Is it wrapped up in the social norms of society? How you look amongst your neighbors? That's why I cut my hair, right? Or don't. <laughs> is it wrapped up in your, in your status in the community? Is it wrapped up in how much you got in your back pocket? Is it wrapped up in how many people you got working for you or how many people you call mas- who call you master or how many people call you good? <laughs> Is that the motivation for your life? He says you've got to put this aside, take up your cross, and do what I want you to do. See, he's wanting this man, here's that word, he's given this man grace. But he wants him to live by faith. Faith is this Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You don't need any other definition for faith. It's right there in your Bible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's substance. It's evidence. Can they convict you of being a Christian? Can they convict you? If you were hauled into court tomorrow and they said, you're one of them fuzzy-haired guys and we want to convict you of being a Christian, I'm jealous because the only time I get fuzzy hair is down here. Uh, Do they have enough evidence to call you a Christian? He's one of them. She's one of them. Oh, yeah, I see him smoke a cigarette. Well, she's still one of them. He's still one of them. We're not talking about all these little laws. We're talking about your love for God. All of us fall short on that legal side. Jesus Christ just told that man, there's none righteous, no, not one. You're not going to be at the top of society forever. Society will change. You, you just watch the news, you'll see him blow uh, Mrs. the vice president was the most popular woman in America six months ago. Where is she now? You won't be at the top of society. You might die at the top of society if you're lucky. Then listen to another five years down the road, they'll be telling stories about you. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. What are you living for? Where is your riches? Rewards are going to be where? In heaven. In heaven. Some of your biggest rewards are ahead of you. Nobody can steal them from you. Uh, We'll talk about crowns in heaven one of these nights and how we can earn heavenly rewards. But that's not where we're going this morning. This morning we're looking at your focus in life and why you do the things you do. 
and why you try not to do some of the things you do, it all has to revolve not about around money, which was this man's problem. Well, God must be blessing me. Look, I've had people that left the church, and they stood there in front of me. I can think of one lady preached a message about smoking. And all I said was, you're going to, you might, it's not going to send you to hell, but it might make you smell like you've been there. When she shook my hand on the way out of the church, I had three cigarette butts in my hand. I committed suicide with her. And then she bragged to the other church members and said, you know, we just, my husband just landed a great big fat job, and I just got another job, and we just bought a house, and our riches are showering down on us. It's been 20 years. Her husband still goes to church. She's been divorced three times. She doesn't have a penny. Society changes. Your riches and all that's circumstantial. When Christ went to Calvary, he carried that cross on his shoulder and went to Calvary knowing everything that was going to take place in this world, everything that was going to take place in your life, your ups, your downs, your bottoms, your tops. He knew it all. And he still died for you. Because he's hoping somewhere along that line, that path you're taking, whether you're carving it out yourself or trying to follow God, you're going to need to turn to him, not to money. And God wants to work in your life. He wants you to travel by faith. And he wants to bless you. And he wants to give you the things you need. But put your focus on him and exercise your faith in what? His word. He's standing there before God Almighty, and he couldn't take him at his word. That's his problem. And he walked off, feeling down, because he had much wealth. And God said, as much as I'm going to go and die for you in another two and a half years, I'm going to die for you, but you're going to have to take me at my word. Each one of us face things in Scripture that we struggle with, or like Mark Twain said, he says, I'm not afraid of those things I, I understand in scriptures. It's the things I don't <laughs> uh, understand. You need to come to terms with your maker no matter where you're at in your path in life. You're not going to do it sitting at home. You're not going to do it unless you run to him. You need to turn to Christ. You need to take him at his word. And then he can do mighty things in your life. It's a simple message. Let's all stand. Mrs. Anania, you want to play? I don't know how long we are. Good. It was a 20-minute message. We will take a look at Scripture now and think of what God... Say a prayer today. God, make yourself real to me today and let me know what you want me to do with the rest of my life. Give me peace of mind and solid heart and an understanding of what you'd have for me to do. I'm willing to follow you, Lord, whether I'm a Christian or not. I want to follow you. Make yourself real to me. It'll scare you, the answers. Are you prepared to follow God 
Are you prepared to take him at his word this morning? Are you prepared to take steps to understand what he'd have for you to do with the rest of your life? I don't know what he's calling you to do. Maybe he wants you to join a local church. Maybe he wants you to leave this church and go to the missions field. Maybe he wants you to uh, stop beating your wife. Maybe he wants you to kick the dog in the morning instead of your son. I don't know what he wants you to do.